Saying that, we've been talking this week about camp, and my kids came to, to this camp, and they're like, hey, we're going to camp at our church? That's kind of strange. Is there going to be a tent there? Are we sleeping over? This is Tessa, right? She's going to be four in September, so she's not understanding camp at the church. We're bringing our, we're going to be at our tent and stay over. No, 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 we're not. We're just going for for, for the day. It's just the, the day, and we'll still sleep at home. And... Uh, but it made me think, especially with, with what I'm preaching today, and we're going to be continuing in the book of Acts, chapter 23, and finishing this chapter. One thing that we see in the scriptures is actually the Apostle Paul, who we're going to read about today. He writes a letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talks about the fact that we are currently occupying this earthly tent. However, there is a heavenly dwelling which we await. Okay, let me just kind of bring this full circle in terms of uh, some of the things I was talking about in terms of death and life and, and a camping and a tent. Okay, well, how do you pull all these things together? Trust me, pastors know how to do this. We, uh, we know how to pull everything together, but the scriptures do it for us. And what it says is that we are currently occupying an earthly tent. What does that mean? It means most of you, hopefully all of you here in this room, live in a house, all right, hopefully I'm not missing anyone out. Uh, but, however, for some reason, strange reason, we choose to go on a vacation, for those of us who like camping, and I'm one of them, I don't understand it, we, look, we go on a vacation and we choose to put up a fabric piece of material and sleep in that, and that's our vacation. And, uh, you know, uh, now we, we don't rough it as much. We, we got a trailer when we go to teen camp, so I'll be sleeping in a trailer, and we put our nice queen-size mattress in that trailer. And even when we go tenting, because Amy Beth and I will go tenting, we get the, uh, the pull-out um, mattress, uh, you know, the inflatable. But that still is terrible because it always loses air and then you end up uh, in pain on the ground. But we choose to do that and call that uh, vacation. By the end of that trip of camping in a tent... Uh, you always look forward to your home bed. Am I right or am I wrong? Some of you guys are like, I haven't done that in so long, Pastor. Don't even remind me. But trust me, I'm in the middle of that with, you know, five kids in my house where they enjoy doing that stuff. So, you know, we take them to do that stuff. Uh, we did it last summer. Uh, this summer, uh, we, we don't really have any plans to sleep in a tent, but we are going to sleep in a trailer. What am I talking about here? We look forward to going to our home, right? That's the greater place to sleep. Paul uses that analogy to say currently our lives are like living in a tent. Right now we are occupying this earthly tent. What is he saying? And then he says our bodies are this earthly tent. This is just, this is just a tent. For some of you, if you're to like Oh, oh, this tent, oh, it's, it's wearing down, you know? Like, you know, your te earthly tent is wearing down. But then he goes on to say, but we have this heavenly dwelling, which is far greater than this earthly tent. See, like if I'm outside in a, and we're camping and a storm comes, I'm worried if my tent's going to survive. Some of you are worried if your body's going to hold up, right? Some of you have got those... Um, 
you know, uh, hips that are new, hip replacements or knee replacements and all those, and you're, you're thankful for the modern-day surgeries that help you, your earthly tent keep going. And, and when the storms of this life and your body starts to ache, guess what? The Bible says you can look forward to your heavenly dwelling. Guess what? When a storm comes to my house, which we've had a few thunderstorms lately, I'm not worried about the four walls caving in, even though there are obviously tornadoes that could take down our house. I'm not really worried about that. I'm confident about my house. And so Paul is saying we have a place in heaven that is far superior than this earthly tent. It's hard for us to think about that often. We don't consider our life right now as camping. We feel, because this is all we know, we feel like this is our one and only life. You know, you hear motivational speakers or people who are trying to encourage you to say, live your best life now. I'm telling you something that might be different. Your best life isn't this life, hopefully. If you put your faith in Jesus, his promise is that your best life is the life yet to come. That there is something far superior on the other side. That Paul is saying, in comparison, this life is like camping compared to what is to come. Um, right now, we're about to, this afternoon actually, take a trip four hours from here uh, to go to a campground to camp. And so I'm like, oh, we're going to drive for four hours in the car. I got to have something for our kids to listen to in the car. And so I downloaded uh, the Chronicles of Narnia on audio, and, and we're going to listen to these stories. And, and here's a conversation I once had with one of our youth who've attended our, our youth group here, is that have you ever thought, similar to the Chronicles of Narnia, that there's an, another world, Narnia, that when they enter into that world, that world seems like the real world, and this world seems like the dream? Are you following me? I don't, I'm looking at some eyes here who are like, what are you talking about, pastor? No, 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 no. This life, but, and I was telling my daughter this as we started listening to this yesterday a little bit. Uh, the Bible says that right now we're only looking through life as though through a glass, a dim glass. That's what another Paul analogy that he uses, that, that right now we only see through a glass dimly of the real spiritual reality that God has for us. And so if you imagine, we've kind of, kind of got these dimmers on, everything's kind of like a fog. You guys can see that analogy like a fog because we've had these, uh, this smoke, right, that's been uh, this summer, that's kind of been in the air. Imagine you go from that to crystal clear waking up and you can see everything clearly. The Bible says that the way, when we get to the other side, it's going to be so much more real than this life. So like Narnia, when they go into Narnia, that's the real life for them and that this is like the dream. Lewis, we know, was a Christian and he was trying to show us these contrasts of this life versus the life that God has for us beyond this. Like if eternity is real, which we believe as Christians, that there's something beyond this life, that, that, that living for this life isn't everything there is. 
that actually if we really believe this, we stop living for this life. We're actually willing to give up this life because eternity waits. I know that's hard for us to do when we have to do daily things. We have to provide for our families and pay our bills and we have to take care of our children or grandchildren. We have to, uh, you know, love our neighbors. We have to get up every day and, be, and find something motivated to live this day. But, but the Bible actually says this, that if we learn to give up this life now, for the life to come, we will actually truly be, li- be living better in this life. See, if you live a life where you're struggling to live for the here and the now, you will continue to struggle. You will have a very difficult life, the Bible says. But if you're willing to give up this life now for the sake of eternity, then you'll truly be living in this life. Jesus sums it up pretty quickly by saying it is better to give than to receive. Now I'm going to read some other scriptures to you today, but first let's get in the book of Acts and why I'm talking about this because we see Paul has to take on this mentality. They are coming after Paul. Paul has lived his life for the sake of the gospel. He's not living for himself. He's living for other people to know Jesus. And when he takes on this mentality, he's not living for the here and the now. So let's read about Paul continually. Right now, Paul is on trial. He's on trial by both the Sanhedrin, but also Rome. Because he has been preaching the gospel. And so, verse 23. So we're in Acts chapter 23. And we're going to pick up in verse... Oh, I'm going to pick up, sorry, verse 12. Verse 12 says this, The next morning some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they killed, had killed Paul. So they want to kill Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin... Petition the commanders to bring him over, uh, to, to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. Remember, he's on trial. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. So they have this plot now. They're saying, let's say we need to examine him more. We have to get more information from him. But as he's being brought from one place to the other, we'll jump him and we'll kill him. Verse 16 says, but when the son of Paul's sister heard this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell them. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, the prisoner, uh, Paul, the prisoner sent me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, 
some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They've taken an oath not to drink, sorry, not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They're ready now, waiting for your consent to the request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Verse 23, then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias, to, the excellent, uh, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they are about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I have learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him. So I brought him to the Sanhedrin and found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law. But there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed about, of a plot to be carried out against men, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to, be, to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carried out their orders, took Paul with them during the night, and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they left, let the cavalry go on with him while they were returning to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Now this story begs my question, and maybe it would, it, you would ask yourself this question. If I was in Paul's shoes, if I was being arrested for something that I did, and I could easily just say, I won't do that again, I'll back down, I'll walk away, would I do that or would I stick to my convictions, which is that this message of Jesus needs to get out and continue to do it even though they might kill you? What would you do? Now, I think for a lot of us, when we're asked some of these bigger questions, questions like, if I lived in Germany during the Holocaust, would I support the Nazis or would I go against them? I think all of us try to have this moral character that says, of course I would oppose the Nazis. Of course I would um, keep preaching the gospel if I was Paul. Of course I would do these more honorable things. But here's the reality, church, is that most people, and I'm being honest, most people follow the trends of society to take the easier path. Jesus said that the way 
to heaven is a narrow gate, but broad is the road away from God. It's a difficult path. So why would I preach this is because we need to be reminded that the road that is not so easily traveled might demand our life. And you might say, well, if my life were asked of me, I'd give it. However, if you don't prepare your heart, prepare your mind, if it were asked of you tomorrow, you don't know how you'd respond. See, I believe that there were men who opposed Nazi Germany who lived in Germany. But those men and women prepared their hearts ahead of time by seeking God. By understanding scriptures like the one we just read about Paul, who was willing to lay down his life, who was willing to preach the gospel, even though it meant that they might plot against him. That their true, the the true reality of who they were following wasn't their own desires and their own ambitions. It was that there, there was a greater cause in mind, and that is following Jesus. That when Jesus said, hey, listen, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And we in the scripture. Matthew chapter 16. Let's see that scripture up for everyone to read. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 24 to 26. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, I want to remind you the context of the cross for them. Jesus had not yet died on the cross for their sins. So when Jesus is telling them to take up their cross, they're thinking not about salvation. They're thinking about Roman execution. Uh, So what this really means is they need to be willing to die to follow Jesus. And Jesus continues to prove that to be true by saying, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This should be difficult for us to hear. I think it's kind of easy in a land of Canada where we have uh, this wonderful freedom of religion, freedom to be Christians, where people will not plot against us. It's illegal to plot against us just because of our faith. Praise God that we live here. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider these texts, uh, these scriptures where Jesus clearly tells us then we need to be willing to lay down our life. Jesus continues by saying, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, and I think what Jesus is saying there, if we go after the things we want, when they actually do come for our lives, we won't be prepared for it because we've already surrendered our soul. There needs to be a willingness ahead of time to surrender. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13 tell us about this um, uh, willingness to surrender. And that willingness to surrender needs to come out of a place of obedience to God. And, And Jesus gave this one command. He says, this is how we summarize all of the commands. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, we'll talk about the love that God wants us to have for each other. We'll say, hey, it's important that we love each other. It's important. And everybody in the whole world says, yes, I will be willing to love. But if we're talking about the love that Jesus is talking about, It's this type of love. 
Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. I wonder about these types of, this type of love. Now, some of you might remember a day that you promised this type of love uh, within a marriage relationship, right? You get up in front of your friends and your family. It's a joyous occasion. We celebrate. But the part that I get to participate in as a pastor is to ask them to do their vows and, and, and say certain words. And one of the words that they, we, we encourage uh, marriage to promise to each other is to love and to cherish until death parts us. And I think that that idea that there's this willingness to love even to the, even to the end, even until there's death, tells us that how important it is to live a life of surrender. To live a life where it's not about us. It's about that other person. And I think if we really took that seriously, the rate of divorce would be much smaller. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And so I, I bring up marriage because that's, that's a place where when you marry someone, you often have this understanding that there's this willingness to lay down your life for that person when you're standing in front of them. I'm willing to give myself to that person. Um... For some of us who've had kids, you might have contemplated that as well, not just for your spouse being willing to live and die for your spouse if there was ever a cause, but uh, your children as well. Like, you're like, I'll do anything for these kids. You, you hear parents who really love their kids saying, I, you know, I'd do whatever it takes. I'd jump in front of a moving train to save them on the train tracks, that kind of mentality. If you're, if, if you're a parent who, who really loves your kids, you, maybe you've had those types of thoughts enter into your mind. And it's out of love where those thoughts come. It's a willing to give up yourself for someone else. And Jesus says that this is the greatest type of love. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that for a second. Paul took this thought of surrendering his life so much that he says, I no longer live. Now here, Pastor Thomas, I'm going to be admit, I'm going to admit, I struggled with this one. I want to be able to tell you, I want to be able to tell you this, that when you look at me, you're not looking at Thomas anymore. You're looking at Jesus living through Thomas. <laughs> and yet, for those of you who know me more than just your pastor and who've kind of like uh, seen me at some of my weaker moments where I'm a little more selfish, there are moments where I want this to be true, but I struggle with it. I struggle with the idea of laying down my entire life that I'm not, no longer living. But this is, the, this is the goal. This is what we want to see as Christians. See, often we hear in the church, hey, listen, we're going to love each other. The motive for us is to love each other. And, and, and instantly, 
People start thinking about being in relationships with each other where there's some benefit that you get. But the reality is there's no benefit to a community of love if there's no sacrifice involved of us willing to lay down our lives for each other, give up ourselves, and see Jesus living through each other. This isn't just about, Christianity is not just about getting what we want. It's about giving up everything and trusting that God will provide the rest. And so he goes on to say, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, remember the passage before in John 15 where Jesus says, if you want to gain your life, you got to give it up. See, the reality is you get nothing if you just live for yourself. You gain everything if you're willing to give it up. There's a little psychology test that was developed where they sit kids down with a marshmallow in front of them. And they say, hey, if, if, if you can be patient and not eat that marshmallow for five minutes, we'll give you a second marshmallow. And some kids, they make the decision right away. Boom, that's my marshmallow. I ain't waiting five minutes. That's too long for me. Pop it. And other kids, they are willing to wait that five minutes and then they get another marshmallow. And then you do it again and you say, well, we'll double it again if you can wait another certain amount of time. But you don't know this, this time, you don't know how long it's going to take. And then they're, they're like, some of them are at that point are like, boom, taking those marshmallows. And others, they're still willing to wait. And, and, and in our faith, the reality is we know that God has promised us eternity. We know there are things on the other side. We live a life of faith with hope of eternity. Yet we don't know when that day is going to come. And so we patiently await. And in the meantime, we surrender. We give ourselves. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, see, Paul writes these letters to the church, but Paul doesn't just tell you about it. He lives it. There are sermons where I preach and I'm like, yeah, I, I know this. I've lived this. And, I, and, and so I find it easy to preach. This is a sermon, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm finding it hard. Because the level of sacrifice that Paul is talking about, I don't see, and I'm not just going to pick on us here in this church, I don't see in the modern Western church. Now, we're not under some form of persecution where our lives are being asked of us, so it's hard to really know what we would do if people were coming after us with, with weapons and threatening our lives. How would we band together and be willing to sacrifice for each other might look different than current state. But, but here's the reality is we need to be willing to live our lives sacrificially now, offering our bodies as sacrifices with a willingness to put other people ahead of ourselves. Again, preaching to myself here. There are moments I am selfish. There's more. Yeah, I talked about within a marriage we make this promise. Or when we have kids we think these thoughts that we'd, we'd be willing to lay our lives down. Sometimes, I, sometimes my kids ask for like juice and I'm like, get it yourself, kid. 
Like, you know, like it's hard enough to sacrifice some little bit of comfort of me getting up out of a chair to serve my family. But, but the reality is God calls us to give up everything. There are, there are days I get up and give them juice. I'm not, I'm not picking on myself too hard. I'm just saying we have these struggles. They're real. And we need to confess before God. Here's the, here's the good news. If we confess before God our limitations then we see Jesus and where he fills them in. See, some of these things that Paul asks us to do or we see Paul doing himself in the book of Acts, he can only do because he's had an encounter with Jesus and he understands that Jesus did it first. We love, why? Because he first loved us. When we fail, when we live selfishly, we can look to Jesus and he can forgive us and give us hope despite our own failures. His love is greater than our failures. And because he forgives us, because he loves us despite our failures, then we are empowered to try again and to live sacrificially. I'm saying today, maybe you lived, up, lived a little bit selfishly. But tomorrow, if you understand that Jesus fills the place where you failed, he can empower you to help you overcome. As we've sang even today, thank you, Rosalind, for singing this song. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We can overcome. Why? Because he first overcame. Because he did the work. Because he first sacrificed. Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything he wasn't willing to do. And so when we talk about a willingness to lay down your life, to take up your cross, to be willing to surrender, to sacrifice, it's only because he did it first. And if you're like, I can't do that, pastor, it's too hard. I'm telling you this, ask Jesus and recognize that Jesus did it for you first and he will empower you to do it. It's not gonna be by your own strength or willpower that you live a sacrificial life for others. It's gonna be when the spirit of God comes upon you and enables you to do it. Remember last week, what did we talk about? Paul was encouraged because why? Because he heard Jesus speak. It's important that we hear Jesus speak. At the end of chapter, um, it was at the end of chapter 23, Paul heard Jesus clearly say that he was going to, um, sorry, it was at the end, middle of chapter 23, Jesus says, take courage as you have testified to me, about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Paul, hearing Jesus, is empowered to continue to live a sacrificial life, willing to lay down his life because he heard Jesus. And so when we know Jesus is in our life, he empowers us to do the thing we could never do apart from him. Apart from Jesus, I am selfish. I live for myself. I don't live for others. When Jesus comes into my life, I now have this greater love, a willingness to lay down my life for my friends, for my family, for those who God loves and I love but it's only because of what he's done. I hope you're with me. I hope that this is a struggle for you. I hope you're not just like easily saying, well, I, it tells me to do it, so I do it. I live a sacrificial life just because, listen, if that's your attitude, maybe you need to just remind yourself that it's where you maybe once were and that it was difficult. And for some here, it is very difficult to live a sacrificial life. But, but here's what we can do is trust Jesus that what he did, what paved the path, pathway for us to experience the Holy Spirit so the Spirit can come and live in us so that we can be reminded that we too can live this sacrificial life, willing to lay down our life. And again, I started the sermon by talking about 
us living in an earthly tent. Why do we do this? Why do we live a sacrificial life? Because we know there's something greater that awaits. We know that we get to see Jesus in the end, that this life is not the life that's worth living for. We live for eternity, willing to live, knowing that these are just our earthly tents because there's something far greater. And so we'll give up this life for the next life. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we need hope. We need hope for tomorrow. We need hope for eternity. Give us a glimpse of heaven that we would know that it's the far greater reality. Help us, like Paul, to hear your voice, to experience your true love, the love that brought you to the cross so that we too could see our need to take up our cross daily. Lord, for many of us, uh, sacrificial living might look differently. For Paul, it meant literally being willing to be put on trial for death. For us, it might be just be willing to give up some of our earthly pleasures to not live such a comfortable life. And Father, I confess, I'm, uh, I'm human. I'm sinful in my nature in the fact that I often seek comfort. And yet, Lord, I know there's a better way. And I thank you, Jesus, for showing us the better way, that it is better to give than to receive. And Lord, I thank you for showing us that way on the cross. But I also thank you that you, you didn't just leave us as orphans. You empower us with your spirit. So spirit of God, encourage us today to live a sacrificial life. Lord, help us to know what it truly means to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Lord, we do thank you that right now there's no one threatening our lives because we're Christians. But Lord, prepare our hearts that even when the little things are asked of us, even when uh, people ask of us our time or our money or, or just some extra energy put into giving and not being selfish, Lord, help us at those moments to be filled with your spirit. Lord, we are often tired. I confess my tiredness before you, God. But I, I praise you, God, that you give us strength in the morning. Lord, that when I am weak, you are strong and you can empower us to live this type of life. That when I'm willing to give it up, you live through me. It's not my own strength that does this. It's your strength. And so I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would see your strength through us. And Lord, the, your word says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We pray, Lord, that your joy would fill us, that Lord, we would live a life willing to please you, and that that joy that you have in seeing us willing to please you would be our strength. Lord, I felt it this week, just seeing these kids come to camp and just seeing them sing songs of praise about you, how our God is an awesome God. And Lord, that joy of the Lord within them gave me strength. And I, Lord, Lord I pray the same for us as a church, Lord. Would we gain 
your joy to give us strength to face tomorrow. To give us strength to live a sacrificial life. To take up our cross daily. We cannot do it apart from you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us your strength to face whatever comes our way. And Lord, I'm reminded in the 23rd Psalm that you say, even when I face the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are our great shepherd. Would you shepherd us through a life of sacrifice? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.